You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. Can a group of utter misfits save the world despite themselves? We're going to figure out that answer today on today's episode of Systematic Geekology. We are the priests to the geeks discussing today, Critical Role Campaign 1. I am your host, MC Ashley, Christian Ashley, whatever you want to call me. I answer to many things. I am, of course, joined by the best co-host in the history of the world, the one, the only, TJ Blackwell. Thanks. I definitely wasn't late. <laughs> he has never once been late, and he will never be late again. Never. It's impossible. He's, he rely, uh, arrives precisely when he means to. But we are joined today by a special guest. This is Brian Bennett. How are you doing today, Brian? I'm doing very well. Thanks so much. Excellent. So Happy tonight, to that's awesome. Before we start into our proper discussion, let me ask you, gentlemen, what have you been geeking out on recently? And we'll give Brian time to figure this out since you're not used to it as much as we are, hopefully. It's uh, it's still Guilty Gear. I've really been grinding. Uh, I have a, a pipe dream of attending Arc Revo in the end of March. So I have about two months to go from a, a pretty decent player to uh, one of the best. So excellent. I'm going to, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to try. Yeah. Those fighting tournaments, they're no joke. Mm-mm. People have it down to the frame and I'm just, that life's not for me, but I'm glad other people can enjoy that. <laughs> yeah. Now, as far as on my end, I mentioned before I'm replaying the Witcher three. I am now on the blood and wine DLC and reliving Toussaint in the new upgrade is wonderful. I love this game. Highly recommend it to those who can get into it. It's a little janky at the start if you don't know what you're doing, but Witcher 3, definitely worth it. Brian, what about you? Oh, there's a lot. I'll just say right now, I think I'm geeking out on uh, Bad Batch Season 2. Excellent uh, choice. Enjoying that. Uh, episode 5 had me scratching my head a little bit and haven't got to Episode 6 yet, but uh, looking forward to it. So, I'm, If 5 is the one that with it, treasure hunting, correct? Entombed, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. I like that. Yeah, say so six was good. Have you had a chance to get up on that, TJ? Last time we recorded, you hadn't. No, me and Brian are on the on the same length here. We are <laughs> six just hasn't happened yet. Gotcha. Maybe well, when we're all done. of our listeners, uh, look out because we may or may not be streaming a live stream of us watching through the Bad Batch fairly soon. So keep that on your calendars whenever that does occur. So let's move into our topic proper, and that is of course Critical Role Campaign One. So let me ask everyone, what's everyone's familiarity with the show? Uh, uh, let's c- keep this constrained to the first campaign only. Right. Well, I've, so I've been around, you know, me and my, my closest friends. We all play D&D. And uh, Critical Role is what got a lot of them into it. And I never got into campaign one that hard. I never got really into it. It was already so far along when we started. I just I couldn't I couldn't convince myself to catch up. I read the recap though, so I didn't feel super left out when everybody talked about it. Uh, but as far as actually watching the campaign, I really hadn't until Legends of Vox Machina. And it's pretty cool to watch it with you know my critical role Vox Machina diehard friends, and they're like, "Oh, that's different. That's changed. That's not how they did it in the campaign." So it's almost like I watched the real thing. There you go. Brian, how about you? I'm a critter. I've been, uh, I was a little late to starting campaign one, but with the severe dedication and commitment and plowing through many YouTube episodes, 
I caught up to the end of uh, campaign one before it ended. So uh, had been there from I've been there from the beginning almost. Uh, seriously, one of my favorite things. Um, so I continue to watch through campaign two, three, and now the animated series. So excellent, love it. Well, my memory is a little fuzzy. I may have said something to contradict myself today on the what's new episode we did because my memory is awful, but I was DMing at that time uh, when campaign one was airing and I kept having my players say, oh, did you take this from Critical Role or, oh, did you take this idea from Matt Mercy? It's like, what is Critical Role? Who is Matthew Mercer and why is he stealing my plots? And <laughs> I was uh, upset, but I said, but I said, no, no, you got to watch it. It's great. So I went out. I think they were around like episode 103-ish. I started watching from there, uh, from the beginning, and I caught up a little before the finale, like right before they took their big break between campaign one and two, and I was blown away. Like, And I know this is sacrilege in some communities, but in order to get that quick there that quickly, I watched it two times speed because I needed to get to it, and I wanted it. I needed to consume it, and I loved it. So- uh, TJ and I did an episode not far long ago where we discussed uh, D&D and our history with it. But I'm going to ask the question again because this is my show and I can do whatever I want right now. So has everyone here played D&D? And if so, which editions and in what roles have you been in? All right. Well, uh, I've mostly played fifth edition uh, as far as D&D goes. We stick to 5e. Uh, we did do the Star Wars 5e thing, which is a really cool system. They didn't change a whole lot. But for any other RPGs, uh, we just go outside of D&D instead of 3-5. We don't play 4 off of reputation alone. But uh, Josh with the Bad Opinions did play 4. A little fun fact. But uh, I've been playing for years. We actually just ended our our main campaign uh, after a solid four and a half years. Uh, That ended last month. So that was cool. But I'll DM sometimes. Usually I'm playing... But it's been pretty, pretty standard, pretty constant in my life for the past few years. Brian? I am old school in a lot of ways. <laughs> I have, uh, I have uh, played back when the, uh, in the, the basic set, the advanced D&D, played through that. I was both player and DM there. Then had a long, uh, a long hiatus of playing back in uh, 20... 15, 2016 started in, in 5e, so somewhere in that in that uh, time frame. I uh, have run um, modules, have created my own stuff, have done a uh, number of different things. I run a, a program at a community center for middle school or high school students uh, on Wednesday afternoons, teaching the next generation of DMs how to do it and get going. So Awesome. That's yeah. awesome. That's super cool. Let's see. I got my start, unfortunately, in 4e. Excuse me, yeah, fourth edition. And it's fine for what it is. I mean, moving from fourth to fifth edition, much better. But I enjoyed my time with it. Uh, I got into fifth edition when I was at my small group one night and a bunch of other guys were talking about D&D. And they said, well, we don't know what we're doing. We don't have a DM. It's like, well, I've DM before. I can do it. And so we went with them, had a really fun time. We managed to finish the campaign within like two or three years. I immensely enjoyed it. I also played for some of them. They became DMs after that, after not having the confidence in themselves. And they did a phenomenal job. Uh, Right now, I'm currently with one of my old college buddies uh, playing through the Call of the Netherdeep, which Matt Mercer actually made. 
uh, that module and I'm having a lot of fun. So I love D and I'm all here for it. Yeah. I ran, I, I even used it at the campus ministry. We had for probably about five years or so had a Sunday afternoon game for, for students to drop in and play. And it's amazing. The, uh, the ability for that game to help folks bond and get together and build relationships. It's just, it's pretty great game. So I, I think there's well, and I think that could be where I could work on a lot of tabletop RPGs that that one's just out in the front. So, yeah, it's more accessible to some people. Yeah, I feel True. It. Yeah, it's, a, it's really simple. Makes it really easy to dive in and focus on your character. I feel like I think they did. I think they did it just about everything right in, in fifth edition. As far as mechanics goes, it helped people. It's not overly crunchy. It's not rules light. You still got to pay attention, but it it's so intuitive for a lot of folks. Yeah. It's a, it's a really good jumping off point for somebody who just wants to get into an RPG because they can get a lot more complicated or they can go to something a little simpler. It's very flexible in that regard and it's well worth it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's D&D. But as far as critical role is concerned, uh, one of the things that unfortunately exists is just how much of a time crunch it is uh, to get into it. Like, uh, what about it specifically, Critical Role, makes us want to watch it despite all the hours we have to pour into it? Uh, so, Campaign 1, I did not. However, <laughs> Campaigns 2 and 3, uh, it's definitely the fact that these people, this group of incredibly talented people, are very obviously just good friends that happen to be extremely talented at what they do and Marisha Ray. <laughs> yeah, um... You don't know this, Brian, but TJ has a massive anti-Marisha Ray bias. I'm kind of in the middle on her. So what's your what's your opinion on Marisha as a player before we get into anything else? I think, uh, well, not to jump, but Campaign 3, I think it's I think her character is the best that she's I, had. I think a lot is fantastic. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I've never had any problems with Marisha. I think, I think she's a really solid player. So... I think the thing that gets a lot of folks invested in critical role, right? It helps that they're really talented, um, but they care about the story. They are, and because they have so much experience in the midst of acting and improv, which is obvious, um, they're willing, and this helps because they're friends too, they're willing to let some people have the spotlight at different times. So that there can be threads, arcs that are focused on one character, but not on, you know, uh, another. There's a number of uh, places and other actual plays where you can, you can, I've tried to listen to some and they're not as professional and they don't give the space. There's always people clamoring to be and sort of forcing themselves in the spotlight and it's not helpful. Uh, Learning when to speak and when not to speak is one of the uh, most, I mean, critical is the word I would use here. Uh, things you can do in a D&D campaign. Because, I mean, we want our character to be in the spotlight. But at the end of the day, if that story moment isn't about us, it's maybe time just to, you know, pipe down, let them have their moment in the spotlight because you wouldn't want them interrupting you and yours. So I'd agree completely with all those. Like, it's the characters and the plot. Matt is a master wordsmith. I love the word uh, worlds that he creates, the the characters he embodies. And also. Obviously, it helps a lot that they're all voice actors. They can switch to certain roles, to certain characters very easily. I mean, 
But actually, all that brings up one of the points I was going to make today, which is that one of the terms that was created in the aftermath of Critical Role is the Matt Mercer effect. Uh, for those who don't know, this is considered to be a phenomenon where new players, well, mostly new players, kind of expect every D&D campaign they end up going to to kind of function the same way Critical Role does. So I ask you all, do you feel that this is an unfair comparison to have or a legitimate concern to bring up as a DM or even as a player? I think the Matt Mercer effect is it? I mean, it's a real thing. I've had students, uh, when they go to join, they were afraid about the Matt Mercer effect, not because they expected it to be that our game would be the same. They were afraid they couldn't play at the same level in the same way, right? So I've always thought about it as everybody expects the DM to be just like Matt Mercer, which isn't the case. But I think um, I think there are easy ways to get around that and work with that with like a, a session zero in it with players so that you can set the stage first and foremost. And everybody understands from the beginning, this isn't a bunch of nerdy ass voice actors playing D and D. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It helps a lot uh, for people to remember that trying to role play uh, all of critical role, literally role plays professionally. That's their job. Yes. That's what voice acting is. And now it's their job to do it in the D&D campaign. <laughs> That's also their job. Uh, they are quite literally the most professional you could be at it. Uh, so I think it's extremely unfair for people to compare themselves to the Critical Role cast just across the board. And uh, it leads to some things. Some you know people not feeling so good about themselves. But it's not their fault. Both well put with your points. I agree completely. It's like you can't expect yourself to be mad if you're DMing. You can't expect yourself to be Sam or Laura or what have you when you're a character. You know what? You have to be you. And sometimes you're going to fumble. Guess what? They fumble too. But you don't always focus on that because you remember all the hyper moments that they perform. You know what? They're just people. And uh, especially I remember when they were doing the Between the Sheets edition on their uh, YouTube page, Matt talked about his imposter syndrome. And that was right. sort of one of the things that really helped me kind of understand, because I had that moment too. It's like, I'm not as good as a DM. Like I, all my ideas are terrible and uh, no one cares about this, but like he brings up the same thing. And this man is so successful. It's not even funny. And it was one of those moments I needed to hear that. And I really appreciate him doing that because there are a lot of people that uh, I'm not going to diagnose myself. I've never been diagnosed, but it kind of feels that way. Sometimes the imposter syndrome. Absolutely. We, who the feeling of who am I to sit in this in this seat and run a game? Right. I, I can't do it. Well, you know what? If there's not someone willing to step up and sit in the DM chair, nobody gets to play. So learn from it. Have fun with it. As, as long as everybody's having fun, everybody's doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, uh, you're the DM. You make the rules. Go crazy with it. That's, that's what I, mean, I do. I, yeah. I mean, I think at the same time kind of applies to ministry in some respects, too. It's like, who am I to be able to, you know, lead this section or uh, to oversee this production or even just to be a helper in whatever needs to be done? Greeters, I know some of us have an anti-greeter bias on this podcast, and that's just fine. But like those roles need to be fulfilled in certain areas in the church. And if I'm spending all that time, well, I'm not good enough. You know, I'll never be able to do it. Well, guess what? I work with a lot of people who aren't good enough. You know, the only reason we are ever considered to be good enough is because of Christ. Yeah. All right. Well, all that to say, that's the background for Critical Role Campaign 1. Let's actually get into the nitty gritty 
let me ask you, gentlemen, does everyone here have a favorite character they want to talk about? And of course, we have our uh, Marisha Ray Keyless section for TJ for our least favorite character. So, Brian, why don't you go ahead and tell us who your favorite is or if you have one? It was really hard to think about that. There's elements that I liked about all of the characters. Um, I think, though, the uh, I think Pike uh, comes out for me I, like I'm a sucker for clerics. I play a cleric. I, <laughs> you know, sure. I'm a pastor. It feels cliche, but, you know, it's um, there's some, there were there were things about um, Pike's arc that really seemed to to resonate. I thought that Ashley did a great job sort of spiritual journey type stuff. So that was good. I like the twins, Vex and Vax. I thought those were I thought they were they were great. Grog and Scanlan were hilarious. So <laughs> but I'll I'll stick with Pike. A lot of good on all of them, but yeah, I'll go with Pike. And do you have a least favorite? Yeah, no, I think everybody had moments there. Um I guess like no, I don't really have a least favorite. I, I liked the way they all gelled. I thought they were a great ensemble. Um and there were things I liked about every one of them. Yeah. TJ. So I'm torn, honestly, between Grog and Percy. Uh, I love them both. They're both, you know, Percy's kind of edgy. He wears it <laughs> on his sleeve. You don't say. It's real open about it, which is something I, I tend to not like. But, you know, uh, I can't believe Talison gets it done. I forgot his name. But uh, Talison does it really well. And uh, he's written such a complex character that I, I really enjoy a lot. Also, he has a gun, which I think is awesome in a D&D setting. My favorite character that I played ever had a gun in a D&D setting. Just makes it feel so much more special. Uh, he's on my credit card. Uh, but Grog, kind of playing against the stereotype of big, dumb, shallow. I love, I love watching Travis play Grog. To his fullest extent, it, it's, it's I thought, really. I thought incredible. his his movement of he gives a great example of how to play dumb, right? Like just because his intelligence isn't high, he, he still had stuff to contribute, and it was a great uh, a great way to watch people play a low, lower intelligence character. Um, it was great. Yeah, yeah. I don't like Keyleth. It's great. <laughs> okay. All right, here's like your soapbox. Have at it. I think honestly, I might just not like druids. Okay, I don't know. Uh, Keyleth bothers me a lot, just on like a, a deep personal level. In what way specifically? Every time uh, she makes a decision, it just upsets me. I don't, I don't think there's a rational reason. I think I just really don't like Keyleth. Bo is fine. I'm not just. I'm not strictly anti Marisha. Uh, I just. I really didn't like Keyleth. I, I'm not even sure why. Yeah, I would say uh, from Keyleth specifically and Marisha as well, she suffered a lot from a ton of people back in the day and even still today to some extent who just had it out for her and they didn't like how she played. They didn't like uh, what she was doing with Keyleth. And some of that I'd say is valid criticism. Now, others of it where the misogyny element came into it, the, I mean, just the vitriol they felt towards her was just astounding. It's like, you have never met this woman before. Please leave her alone. She does not deserve it. And TJ in no way has done this. But I would like to get ahead of that conversation because I know there's a ton of people out there who would are curious about our takes on it. So I would say that 
uh, I'll go least favorite first since we're talking about Keyleth. And Keyleth is my least favorite from the original team. Uh, I don't agree with some of the choices she made. I think she moralized way too much without understanding why certain people made certain choices. Uh, I speak specifically of a scene. We'll get to his character later on. Uh, I think it was like episode 26 or something like that, where you know Tiberius killed someone that they were fighting. And it was an old woman. She got all uppity about this, despite the fact that she had killed a child pre-campaign at one point in time, from what I understand. So that is what it is. I, I think that if I may have mentioned this on the What's New episode as well, that if I found out that my leader had completed the Aramente, but she had jumped off a cliff, turned into a goldfish and died. I don't know if I would respect that person, man or woman. So that's it. This is not, um, I'll make that perfectly clear. This is not a Marisha Ray, Keyleth Bash party. We don't want to be those people, but I do think there's some valid criticisms that can be made towards her character. And I do agree. She worked a lot better as Bo in the second campaign. I think she was more comfortable in that role as opposed to Keyleth. And I think Keyleth, Keyleth was her trying out a different kind of person than she would normally play is what I think happened. So that's what it is now on to my favorite. And that's Scan the Man, Scanlan. Love my bard boy. He reminds me a lot of one of my good players I had in my first campaign. He uh, I was also playing a bard, just carefree, you know, all over the place, having fun, making jokes, enjoying what he was doing. Well, at the same time, there's a lot more depth to him as time goes on, especially uh, when he's confronted with a daughter that he never knew existed, especially when he realizes that he's not as respected as he should be uh, among his teammates. And he leaves. And I was like, what? How could they let this happen? Why would why would a person let their character leave a campaign? And then he comes back as uh, Sam comes back as Terry. Uh, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Terry. And then comes back again as Scanlan. It was a very powerful arc. So love Scanlan. Anything else about our favorite characters before we want to move on? Uh, I will say uh, the goldfish scene, I think, is just extremely funny. <laughs> <laughs> she just made a mistake. It happens. Super funny. Yeah, I think that was really supposed to be comedic effect and and just to be fun. And yeah, oops. Oops. <laughs> Many <laughs> such cases. Oh, whoops. All right. Also, that Matt Mercer Matt Mercer killed her there. There's a cap on fall damage. Uh, I agree with him. There shouldn't be. But, yeah, but that's true. It's like terminal velocity. It's real life. Yeah. Just in real life, we can't have higher HP than, you know, a regular human. So we don't survive that. Don't bring mathematics into my mathematics space game. I'll try. <laughs> so let's move on to uh, what is our favorite arc? And as well, I mean, slash, what do we have a favorite moment within this series? Uh, TJ. So I'm not sure if I have a favorite moment yet. I really do. I need to go watch the whole campaign through. Uh, but my favorite arc is probably the Briar Woods. I, I just, I really, I dig it. I love it. I love me some good edgy Percy content. And that provides that in spades. It was, I, I agree. I think the Briarwoods, I, I think they were super smart to start, not to get a, too far away from it, but I think they were smart to start the animated series with the Briarwood arc um, because it has so much gravitas there that it's, uh, it's really serious. It's really, there's a lot of good stuff there. But I mean, Chroma Con- Conclave is also another equally great arc hard to hard to argue with that yeah i agree starting the series where they did with the show was a good choice yeah yeah 
I, I would say I'm biased against the Chroma Conclave purely because I think it's cheesy to have your main antagonist be a dragon in Dungeons and Dragons. But that's just me. I get it. I do love a good dragon fight every once in a while. Our, my my first big campaign, our main antagonist was Tiamat. So the hypocrisy well, flows. I, yeah. I will say the moment when Keyleth enfeebles Raishan, mm. that was powerful, incredible. That it's one of my favorite moments of the whole of the whole of the whole season of the campaign. One, yeah. Well, using that feeble mind to get a caster down that low, oh, that was well played. Yeah, that's what legendary sure. resistances are, are supposed to be saved for. I think it, she had lost it at that point in time. Yeah, I think they were fighting tactically to make that happen. If I yeah. remember correctly, it's been a Got long time outplayed. since I watched it. So, it was just a big, long, drawn-out battle. There were ultimately, it, there were a lot of moments where if they if he hadn't used the uh, legendary say uh, legendary resistance, it would have gone bad for him too. So, oh yes, yeah. I suppose for me, uh, my favorites would be the final arc and the Chroma Conclave. And I'm not going to say Chroma Conclave because it's been brought up before. Also because. <laughs> There's a little resentment from me because I was setting that up in my campaign as I was watching Critical Role 1, and I realized Matt was doing the exact same thing I was. And I said, well, I'm going to have to change everything because now that my players know I watched this, they're going to think I stole it from him. <laughs> so uh, I would say the whole final fight with Vecna, them bringing up – it's like perfect yeah. to me. Like my favorite comic book series of all time is Marvel Team Up. Uh, not because it's the greatest storytelling ever told, but because I love to see Spider-Man like and even Marvel two and one or the thing like teaming up with another superhero to fight a supervillain. And it's a wonderful thing. And at the very end of this campaign, we get them bringing up people from all the way at the beginning to help them out with this mission. And I love it when a series does that. So as far as favorite moments go as well, I'm either going to say it's the moment where Grog is able to kill Kevdak because I thought he was a goner for a moment there but he managed to pull it out. And the other, I would say was the counter spell at the end. Oh. Uh, it kills me still today. And uh, for those of you who don't want to watch that episode, do watch Matthew Colville's episode on YouTube about that moment. It is so powerful just to hear him talk about it in such a way. I love it. It's such a huge character moment. Like Scanlan was saving it specifically for that wish, but he needed it to get rid of Vecna. Ah, Beautiful. Yeah. Well, great moments there too. At the very end, when uh, Joe Mangiello, Manginello's uh, oh yes, <laughs> Paladin lops off the hand of Vecna and disappears. Oh, great stuff! It's like what just happened? <laughs> you're you're right. That that uh, counterspell when he was saving it for the wish. Colville's analysis of that was spot on. It was so good, so good. Absolutely. Well, now that we've talked about that peak, let's move on to something else, which is something I was thinking about as I was watching the Legend of Vox Machina, actually, which was how Matt handles resurrection within his campaigns. And I think it's one of the greatest things he does, because sometimes in 5e, in my opinion, once again, it feels like resurrection is kind of easy, especially like revivify and stuff like that, which, you know, to a certain extent for a lower level party, it should be. But also... It feels like it should cost more. But what is it about our perception of resurrection that makes us want to believe that it's some difficult task 
to perform. And like, uh, and especially what do we think about resurrection in light of uh, Jesus's resurrection or like Lazarus or what have you within the Bible? Yeah, we, we all have that thought in our heads. It's like, this is too easy. It should take at least three days and you have to be the son of God. This character is dead forever. No resurrections, you know, something like that. But we definitely stole that rule. Uh, Matt's rules uh, for our campaign became extremely difficult to resurrect anybody. And uh, we played another smaller campaign where it just wasn't possible at all unless you were part of the church. Wow. Okay. Ryan? I, so, I, like, I play a cleric. I, I have those spells in my, in my spell list, right? So uh, I think the things like Revivify are great because you have to get it, like, right away. It's a, it's a really quick thing. So in some ways, it's not always easy. And, uh, and it doesn't, like, if there's a body part missing, it doesn't put it back, right? So yeah. I, lo- I do love his uh, Mercer's use of uh, resurrection in that way, where you have to sort of woo the person back. Right. There, there's a it's not an automatic. Uh, it's easier, but it's not uh, easier than uh, at the beginning. And the more times it has to happen, the harder it gets. I think that that's great. I, You know, it's the same thing I have issue when folks do sort of like movies that talk about, oh, the apocalypse or whatever. Or they use apocalyptic imagery. That's not the disaster stuff. Isn't the apocalypse? The apocalypse is the is the revealing of something in the same way. It's not resurrection. It's it's more resuscitation. But I get they use it because you're coming back from the dead. You know. Yeah. In the end, I don't have any problems with it. I think it's a great, uh, it's a good mechanic to have, because especially some of it, true resurrection, you got to get the big honking gem to get it. So that's that's tough. Yeah, I'm play with it in the system as it is, or uh, add that little extra oomph. I I do like the little extra. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just it's really important to make your players from a DM's perspective make them stick to the materials cost. Absolutely. Even if you do it for nothing else, just the the resurrection spells cuz otherwise it is definitely too easy. Yeah, I I as the cleric, I always maintain I have a whole list of like I've got 5 diamonds worth 300 GP. I keep that I keep track of that because I want to make it real. I don't want to make it too easy. I don't want to just say, "Oh, I cast revivify." Thankfully, yes. We haven't had to do it. Um yeah, but but so I want prepared. I want to stay honest to it as the player to immerse myself in the world. Yeah, we need more players like you out there. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, what I will say in this regard, as far as five E rules go, uh, the way I've shifted things, I like what Matt does, but what I do is it only works once for each spell. So you can get revivified once, you can get true as resurrected once, and after that, it doesn't work. So. Uh, I'm not there to like be a killer DM by any stretch of the imagination, but I would like there to be a consequence, uh, especially since when I think of uh, resurrection specifically in the Bible, I think of what it costs Jesus to do. I think of what has to happen for a prophet to be empowered with the ability to bring someone back to life. Like Elisha doesn't do it because he's Elisha. He does it because God has gifted him with that ability to do it. So, and then uh, was it the man who fell out the window with Paul? It's like him bringing him back to life like that. That costs something to do. Like it costs Paul his faith to be able to do that. And that's a good thing. Now, obviously, D&D and Christianity don't always align one to one. They shouldn't because they are two different things. So that's enough of that. We'll move on to our next topic, which uh, probably may be one of the most controversial parts we're going to discuss tonight. And 
that would be one of the most unfortunate incidents that happened within the game uh, was the departure of Orion uh, Akaba, I believe. Akaba. Is, yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as a player and Tiberius as a character, uh, due to several inappropriate decisions that he had made both in the game and out of the game. Like, how do we feel about, in the aftermath, it's been several years. How has this been handled? I know nothing about this incident. So I was, since I was watching it afterwards, I was able, I was like, what happened? And there was very little mention. They just sort of whoop, cut it off. Um, I think it's the best possible way because uh, Critical Role folk didn't go and drag Orion through the mud, right? There was, there was no sense of, of that. And I had to kind of go and search and figure out like what did happen. And, and at that point, there was still some talk on Reddit and, and whatnot about what was happening. Now it's sort of been a hard and fast. We're not, we're not talking about it anymore. Yeah. Um, move along. I mean, they got tired of answering. Yeah. Especially on the subreddit. Yeah. And they, yeah. And it, right. And at some, was at some point during campaign two, they were like, look, we're not going to even, we're going to just stop posts about Ryan because he's not part of it anymore. We're done. It's done. I, I will say I was, I was shocked when the, there was the scene near the end when they tried to send a message to Tiberius and it was clear it didn't find its recipient. Purchase. Yeah, right? And so yeah. that was the sign of Tiberius died. Bold move at the same time. He, uh, Orion had tried to do his whole um, own little series with uh, Knights of... I forget the name of the kingdom. But he tried to yeah. have Tiberius have his own character, sort of a spinoff thing, to do his own thing. It wasn't. It wasn't uh, so good. And I will say the way Matt handled that was immensely respectful. He allowed Tiberius to die a hero in yeah. the rest of the Chroma Conclave arc. I think they're probably going to gloss over that if they even go to Draconia in Legend of Vox Machina, which I doubt. But I think within Critical Role proper, he did a good job of okay, we are acknowledging he was around, he was part of this team, he was a hero, let him die as a hero. All for that. I think one of the things that really sparked this question in my mind uh, was, I mean, not too far ago, we had all the recent scandal within the SBC. And I'm uh, Brian, if you didn't know, I'm a member of the Southern Baptist Church. Uh, I did I not call, myself, call myself non-denominational, but I'm at a seminary, so kind of can't get away from it. But one of the things that brought up there was how certain pastors were being shuffled from church to church and continuing to commit sexual abuse against their constituents, just like we were making fun of the Catholic church for doing. And I think in the legacy, like one of the things Ryan did, he was very inappropriate towards fans. Uh, in the game, he made some inappropriate comments that, you know, you would think someone like Scanlon would make, but at the end of the day, it was always one of those more playful ways versus like, I am, it looks like you may be getting aroused kind of ways and not exactly what you want for a healthy work environment. So I ask all that, like, how should we handle that uh, within our own churches? I feel like there was a lot there that was really similar to sort of the notion of excommunication. The only problem was it, excommunication is, is meant to ultimately bring about reconciliation if possible. Um, but here, this was this has been pretty clear, not a whole lot of possibility for reconciliation. Yeah, I, I don't see a lot of repentance coming from his side of things in the same it, way. It's complicated, right? Because we we only see anything that's sort of outward facing. We don't. Yes, that is very true. 
that's the that's the tough part. We we don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but uh, yeah, there's a. I also feel like some of the decisions he made caused a lot of hurt. Uh, and uh, yeah, we want to work towards reconciliation, but it's not an easy. It's not just saying, "Hey, I'm sorry," and we're going back to what it was. Uh, there's got to be some real work, and uh, I'm going to trust them to do the work that they need to do. And and however that all goes about, we'll see. He, you know, in the game, as as much as I said, people who are willing to give the spotlight to others. That was a place in gameplay. We saw more and more. He, he always mm-hmm. in the center, always wanted to be in the spotlight. And I would say this with any game. It's okay to step aside and tell someone, hey, I'm not, I'm not sure this game is for you, right? If you want to play with a different style, that's that's not that's fine. But that's not this table. That worked out, I think, pretty much in the same way. Yeah, I would say how to learn to communicate between DM and players is a huge part of this. And I think from what I understand, Matt handled that fairly well. So... Yeah. Unless anyone has anything else they'd like to bring up. No, I, th- I mean, I do think there's a point that when we're in our, we talk about our churches, talk about our congregations, there are places uh, for transparency and honesty and uh, the ability to, to speak what is going on. And there are times that we want to be able to be, look, something happened. We, we can't really talk about it. Not in a way that hides things or tries to obfuscates them, but also respects the dignity of the person that, was perhaps making some really bad choices. And that's a good way of looking at it. Because like in our hearts, we always want people to repent. I mean, because we want ourselves, if we're doing what we're supposed to do, and to repent as well. And it's difficult to see them not. And so sometimes we go to the other side and say, oh, well, you're just gone then. And sometimes you need to get rid of them. But I, I, th- I think there's a difference between secrets. Uh, and if, if a church is keeping us here, I, I don't say this because I served a church where there were secrets kept. Mm. Um, I came in after they voted out my predecessor. Secrets were bad. And so I had to, when we had an, an incident, something else, I announced to the congregation, I said, hey, there was a thing that happened. It gives us more questions and answers. And if you have a reason or something that you think that might be an issue, come talk to me and we'll see how it goes. But I didn't, I didn't just blow it out there for everyone. Or and I, we didn't keep it secret. We were as we were as transparent as we could be. So I, I think that's a that's an important piece for us all in how we live together in community. Yeah, I'll say my old pastor uh, from my home in North Carolina just retired uh, a couple weeks ago, and he made sure when he was doing this is like because he's fairly young to retire. Uh, like, look, there's no scandal going on. We are, I am telling you this right now in front of the whole congregation so the rumors do not spread, like no one's forcing me away. Like this is what God told me to do. And the fact that he has to say something like that says a lot about us. It's like, oh, well, he's leaving. He's in glory. He's in power. Well, something obviously has to be wrong. And I think uh, part of it is our problem of how we've handled that in the past. Right. That's exactly right. The problem is the number of times when – Churches have said they're leaving, but no, there's nothing wrong. And then four years later, we find, oh no, it really was. Yes, we had a scenario play out here with a church slash campus ministry um, here in Pittsburgh that I was like, this isn't going to end well, and it sure didn't, and they don't exist anymore. Well, we kind of touched on a secret question I was going to ask, so let's just move forward. And before we wrap things up, uh, you guys have anything else you really want to talk about for campaign one before we continue on? The vestiges are so cool. They are so cool. Absolutely. (laughs) Magic items that evolve. Give me that. 
That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I did the same thing then with some, with the friends in a, in a game we were playing. I was like, Ooh, I'm doing that. Yeah. 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 That's so cool. And, uh, and they weren't like, they weren't like super broken. They were just yeah. good. They were really good, but they weren't like ridiculous. They, they, they came up to the level of the player. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, it was a really smart idea. I love it. Yeah. I had a really kind DM who let me as a level one start off with one that I had made. And in its base form, it just did magical damage. But as the time moved on, you found, oh, if you keep rolling, it does a random sort of damage besides the, the it was a bow. Uh, besides the piercing damage, it did. And it kept growing and growing and gaining other attributes that I didn't make. And he decided to make on his own to surprise me because he liked the idea so much. And that was so much fun to do because it was like a collaboration between us. So I love that Matt did this. It was so fun. Yeah. Yeah. Having- That's great that your, your DM does that, did that because I think collaboration is at the heart of this whole game. And and we see that in the within Critical Role in general, that there's always this collaborative story that's going on. And Matt creates this world and he lets the people do stuff in it and, and sometimes create stuff that happens within it. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. That's one of my favorite examples of people trying to live up to Matt Mercer before realizing they don't need to is one of my best friends, Josh. We like to call him Josh with the good opinions over here, not on the podcast. (laughs) Different Josh. I know like 10 of them. But uh, my dungeon master, long time, uh, he was a huge Critical Role fan and he wanted every one of us to have our own special power. Our own special magic dragon-related power because we're fighting Tiamat. And uh, it's really hard to come up with something that is fair and balanced. Uh, so my character, a bard named Tiberius, I didn't know about the other Tiberius at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I got basically uh, the spell Dragon's Breath uh, for free once a day. And uh, Josh's brother's character... Uh, who was my last character's dad, fun, fun times, but uh, he got a dragon eye, which gave him a plus two AC and plus four to hit bonus and gave him evasion, which he did not have, and uh, gave him resistance to uh, elemental damage, like the five, Tiamat's five damage types. So there was a a bit of a, (laughs) a bit of a disconnect there. (laughs) But super funny because we, we talk about it all the time. Like nobody remembers what mine was because I never used it. I was <laughs> I was a level 20 bard. I'd, you sh- sure he didn't hate you? No. <laughs> I hope he listens to this. Awesome. Well, gentlemen, with that in mind, how would we rate and review first campaign of Critical One? Uh, but Critical Role. Gosh, can't Critical speak. One. Critical One. <sighs> I think it is a classic Dungeons and Dragons. It is, it's the stereotypical, it's, it is, um, if there's anything that sort of you can watch and you'll be like, oh, this is the player handbook. This is Critical Role Campaign 1. Nobody strays too far from the tropes. No one, they, and, and, they, and they do it well. And I'm not saying that it's, it's uh, cliched, but they hang in there. They've got really interesting stories. They show how to role play and work that into awesome combat. So, I, look, what rate it out of five stars? I'm giving it five and a half. I I really, 
I really do like it. Um, and they've only built on that uh, as as they went. So I, it is one of the things that has helped catapult uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, into the mainstream. There are people who like Dungeons and Dragons have never played it, but they have watched it. Right? That's fine. I'm cool with that. Let me help you play it. But at the same time, if that's how you engage Dungeons and Dragons, that's how you play Dungeons or you engage Dungeons and Dragons. I, that's that's great. They're the, they're some of the best ambassadors for the game. For sure. Well the word, said. The word quintessential comes to mind. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Numerically, don't ask me to do that. <laughs> don't put me in a situation. Uh, you do that all the time, TJ. Come on. Don't whip out on this now. Uh, I'm going to give it a nine. Okay. Yeah. Nothing's perfect. I would say my like fellow. Too. Every time you say that, it just makes me angrier. <laughs> I would say for myself, I agree with my co-host here. This was one of the perfect ambassadors to people for D&D, for how to get into the game, what it can be about, what you can do, what you can't do. It's a phenomenon for a reason, and I am so appreciative of it. It enhanced my love for the game itself. I mean, if it weren't so long, I would rewatch it way more often. But I will give this a 9.5 out of 10. And there is no like typical grading scale here, Brian. So you can do whatever you want. I typically do a 10 base scale. So that is it for Critical Role Campaign 1. Gentlemen, do you have a recommendation for the audience to check out? Yeah. So if you are a sci-fi person and a tabletop role-playing person and Starfinder is too complex, which probably so, uh, look up Star Wars 5th Edition. Also, Star Wars. You have to like Star Wars. It is it leans pretty heavily into Star Wars, uh, not just sci-fi. But it is so fun. And we've done one out of three of our like mini campaign sessions that I'm running for Star Wars 5th Edition. And it's such an awesome system. Uh, it's fully fleshed out. You get enemies, stats, force powers, it's just, it's really impressive what they've done over there. It's free. It's all free. Perfect. Brian? Cool. All right. In this, uh, I'll say same vein. Um, if you like Critical Role or want to think about something else, there's an actual play a stream that goes on from the UK called High Rollers. Mark Humes is the DM uh, in this band. This one's a little more, uh, he has a great world, but it it involves some stuff that's a little sometimes sci-fi uh, related. He's got some stuff coming in from the Astral Sea and uh, and all. But Mark Humes has shown up on Critical Role. He and Matt are great friends. And uh, I'm trying to remember. Is that Was the, guy, the Draconic like, Sorcerer? Yeah. Yeah, the Draconic Sorcerer. Yeah. Yes. Does he have like the big beard? Or is it not like huge, but like it's full beard? No. I think I no, he know. Had, no, no, he's uh has a little bit of a goatee and all, but not not a huge beard. Um Oh, you were thinking of Pat- Patrick Rothfuss. He was on Critical Role, campaign one. No, I love Patrick Rothfuss. He's my favorite author. He's fantastic. He was he was great Man. in that. Um no, uh, but uh, high rollers, um they're coming up on the end. So actually you're watching again. Uh, end of their campaign, massively high level, epic battles, stunning. But I love Matt Mercer. I think he's fantastic. At the same time, 
Mark Humes is is every bit a good uh, DM as uh, as Matt. So another option out there for folks to see how things happen. Well, all right. As far as me, if uh, everything in the PHB and the other expansions doesn't really you know tickle your fancy, and you want to test out something new, check out the Unearthed Arcana subreddit, and definitely run by what you would like to do with your DM because some of that stuff is way too broken for us. I'm good. It does not have play testers, yeah. but you will find a, an occasional gym there that is well worth your time exploring. I've used some magical items from there uh, in my campaigns. I've created classes based on stuff like that. It's a ton of fun. Just, just if you're really into that stuff, just looking it up. So I highly recommend that. Now, everyone, thanks for having us here for this episode. We had a ton of fun discussing the first campaign of critical role. Now, everyone else, please check out systematicecology.org. If you want to find all our hosts here today, they'll be there. Joshua has it all set up all neat and nice because he's well organized in that regard. Uh, go ahead and check out other episodes we have. Uh, TJ and I, like I said before, we were on a D&D episode with Father Jonathan. It was a ton of fun then, too. Uh, check out our Discord as well. We have a lot of fun conversations there. We want more people there to get more engaged. Check out our Patreon as well. I just became a member last night. Uh, for whatever money monetary amount you can offer if you can if you can't it's not your fault that's the world we live in also as well you can look at our website and suggest some episode topics for us like let us know what you want to talk about so remember we are all a chosen people a geekdom of priests This was an Anazao Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, be sure to check out the Anazao Ministries podcast network.